Uh, this morning we're going to be picking up in Acts chapter 22. And if the Lord tarries and I stick to the outline, we will be done with Acts by the end of the year. I promise. It's going to be good. But I've entitled this morning, This is My Story, This is My Song, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchased of God, born of the Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is a great hymn who was written by a blind gal by the name of Fanny Crosby, right? She actually wrote more than 8,000 hymns, uh, still being sung more frequently than any other gospel writer (laughs) in history, okay? She had a gift from God. Back when she was um, writing hymns on a regular basis for her church, she was writing, writing three a week for the new songs Every week, that's phenomenal. Um, so musician friends, they would first uh, put together, they would compose some music, and then they would actually bring it to, to Fanny and have her put words uh, to it. Um, and it's really cool if you guys ever get an opportunity to hang out in Bridgeport, Connecticut, you can actually go see uh, where she's buried there. And I love it because uh, on our, our tombstone there, uh, these significant words uh, were taken from the Lord's remarks to Mary, the sister of Lazarus, in the scriptures after uh, he, she had anointed Jesus' feet with that costly perfume. It says there, she has done what she could. Isn't that so cool? Even if you're blind, God can you, I mean, think about that. You may feel limited. I can't, you know? Well, great. Take what you have and do. <laughs> That's what she did. And I picture Paul singing this song, for this was his story, and this was his swan song. Well, you asked, Pastor, what's a swan song? I'm glad you asked. Well, it's a reference to an ancient belief that a mute swan is completely mute during its entire lifetime until the moment just before it dies when it sings one beautiful song. And that's what the Apostle Paul does here for us in Acts chapter 22 this morning. So I've entitled this, This is My Story, This is My Song. Uh, Well, we left off last week with Paul. Okay, he's on the steps after almost being torn apart by this angry mob in Jerusalem. Paul then gets to tell his story of his life. So as we begin this, I want you guys to learn, look, and listen here because that's what's going to be laid out. Verse 1, brethren and fathers... Hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that they spoke to that he spoke to them in Hebrew language, they they actually kept all the more silent. And then he said, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Silica, but brought up in the city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictest of our father's laws. And I was zealous towards God as you are today. I persecuted the way. The way would be, of course, the Christians, right? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one gets the Father except through me. So they referred to believers, Christians, as the way. So he said, I persecuted the way, the Christians, to death, blinding and delivering into prisons both men and women as also the high priest bears me witness. 
and all the counsel of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren, I went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Now it happened, as I journeyed, I came near Damascus about noon. Suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me, and I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light, and they were afraid. But they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came to Damascus. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me, and he stood and he said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour I looked up at him. And then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you, that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. Whoa! <laughs> Pretty cool, huh? I wish I got saved that way. <laughs> you know, what a story, what a testimony, right? But I love, and I hope you guys catch, he's adapting to the situation. He's there in Jerusalem. There's this angry mob of Jews that want to kill him. Okay, you are a heretic. You are speaking blasphemies. You're speaking of this Jesus. How dare you? You know, you're done. And I love, go back again to verse 1. Brethren and fathers. So, bros, okay? <laughs> I'm your brother. <laughs> Listen, hear my defense, please. I'm one of you. And when they heard that he spoke to them in Hebrew, so he uses the Hebrew language, right? That they kept all the more silent. They're like, okay, uh, you got our attention now, right? Verse 3, I am indeed a Jew. I was born in Tarsus. I was brought up in the city. I had Gamaliel, our greatest rabbi, our greatest teacher. I learned from him. I was a star student, okay? Um, he was taught according to the strictness of their father's law. He was zealous. Hey, I am religious, guys. You know, zealous towards God as you are, you know? I used to be this. I understand you. I get what's going on. So he uses their national language of the day, which was actually Aramaic. That's a mix of Hebrew and Syriac put together. So it predeposed the crowd to listen. Hey, he's speaking in our language. A true Jew by birth, by training and conviction, he tells us. And then he had been one of them in opposition to Christianity. Again, verse 4, he said, I... Me personally, I persecuted the Christians the way to death. Okay? Not just coming to them and telling them they're wrong. You've been fooled. You're crazies. No. <laughs> to death, he says. Binding and delivering into prison both men and women. 
and as also the high priest. Hey, he can bear witness. This is what I was doing. And all the councils and the elders from whom I also received letters to the brethren. And I went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. So Paul even was, you know, even going out of his way all the way to Damascus to find these Christians. So involved men and women had extended even to death. He wanted, okay, he went as far as Damascus. So he uses tact here and presence of mind to win the hearers to Christ. That's what he's doing. I think we need to do the same thing. And we see that in the first part of verse 5 here. And then verses 6 to 11, he just recounts his vision, emphasizing the supernatural event that took place that brought understanding to what he was actually doing in persecuting the one and true living God. It was Jesus that he was actually fighting against. So in other words, guys, God's action alone explains so great a change in my life is what he's saying. God did this. It wasn't somebody reasoning with me, convincing me that Christianity is really right. No, God showed up. Supernaturally did some stuff. Okay, so he's sharing his testimony. So understand that they thought Jesus was dead. So Paul's saying, now I saw him. (laughs) I saw this Jesus that was dead, (laughs) was buried, but he rose again. He is alive. I saw him, I talked with him, and he changed my life. Deal with that, (laughs) you know? Do we have that testimony, guys? I hope so. I hope that you are born again, that you can say that you really know God. That man, I I know him. He is alive. He's touched my life. Let me share with you how. So, we see verse 12, this description of Ananias to show how orthodox he was. And in verse 14, the God of our fathers. Okay? I, I love that he uses that term there. Not only saved, but serve, or saved by serving. He made that point. Our God, he did this, by being a servant. Okay, so what do we learn here? Well, to know his will is a big part of it. That's what he's laying out here. You guys need to know the God of our fathers, okay? This was his plan. This is the way he wanted to do things, okay? And he did this. So to know his will, do we know his will for our lives, guys? That's the question we got to ask. What is your calling? What is his will for your life? What is it? Well, is it just coming to church, being fed the word of God once a week? Absolutely not. Okay? We seek him. We study to show ourselves approved. Okay? God, what are you calling me to do? Okay? He has something. We need to know what that is, and we need to be faithful and to obey. I know this last weekend, we had 36 men that showed up, and guess what? I know God spoke to many of the men very specific things. And we can have some really good intentions. Like, hey, God spoke. He's calling. You know? But unless we follow through with those intentions, they're just good intentions. (laughs) There's no fruit. There's no glory to our Father. So we need to really know His will. So we need to learn that. We also need to look. He says, see the just, the righteous one. We actually need to look. There's so many people today that refuse to look to God. That's the last place they want to look. Well, I don't want to look to, the, to what's just. Okay, I don't, want to, I, want to, I don't want to look to the righteous one, what's right. 
because I, I think I know what's right, what's best. And if we do humble ourselves and look to him, you guys are going to have to have the same confession I have almost on a daily basis when I open the scriptures. Because let me let you into my brain a little bit. My, my thinking gets messed up a lot. It does, okay? And one of the things I love about the scriptures is when I read, it's like, oh boy, I know I've read this before. I know if I really think about it, I even know it, but I forgot. Man, Lord, how did my thinking get so messed up so quickly? And I have to acknowledge you're right. <laughs> you're right. I'm wrong. Okay? And that's what we do in the scriptures. And it's great to be in step with the Spirit because when we're reading and we're receiving, it's not, well, I'm going to argue with you, God. <laughs> it's just a simple submission. You're right, God. I'm wrong. Let's go. Let's do it your way. Also, um, oh, let me share this. It's been well said. The invitation to come and see, okay? Come and see the empty tomb, right? Come and see was immediately followed by what? Go and tell. Come and see, look to God, and then what do you do with that? You go and tell others. That's what to do. So this is God's order for everyone who has or had a real vision of the risen Christ. So having spiritual sight of the righteous one is the secret to the Christian life. You look at a Christian who's thriving, who's doing good, ask them what the secret is. And I guarantee you all of them, they're hey, I just keep looking to Jesus. I keep my eyes on him, and I'm just following. <laughs> you know, just looking to him. So only he can save us, sanctify us, qualify us, and sanct- or, uh, satisfy us. That's what's laid out here for us. Um, illustration for you and I. Okay? I love morning glory flowers. So when a flower like the morning glory closes at night, okay, super tight. You guys ever notice that? Okay, beautiful during the day. But you go check out one at night, it's just like, oh, they're all closed up. Even a most skillful of all of our surgeons, guys, with the most delicate of instruments, can't open that flower without destroying it. No matter how hard they try. But the returning sun the next day opens it easily, naturally, safely. That's what Jesus does, guys. We're told in John chapter 9, verse 29, for judgment I have come into the world, Jesus said, so the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. We also need to listen. It says, hear the voice of his mouth. Paul said that. Hear the voice of his mouth. So what is he speaking to you lately? What is he speaking? He's not speaking. You're not listening then. <laughs> I don't know. God's loud. <laughs> We just need to be listening. He's always speaking. If you say he's not, you're probably not in his word. So, um, what has he been speaking to you lately? It's been well said, guys. The invitation to come and see was immediately followed by go and tell. What is he speaking to you lately? So this is God's order for everything, okay? When we have seen the risen Lord. So why are you waiting? Let's carry on here. Verse 15. Why are you waiting? For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And now it happened 
when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, that I was in a trance. And I saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and I beat those who believed on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, Depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. Now, back to verse 15, okay? The witnesses here, okay? There is no word in the New Testament that is used so frequently to express Christian service. You want to serve the Lord Christian? You witness. That's what he's asking us to do. You are salt and light. Don't hide that light under a basket. Let your light shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So there is a a dynamic in Christianity, in, in the life of a Christian, that is a genuine witness for God. You see, the greatest foes of Christianity are, and I want you to catch this, the greatest foes to Christians, um, Christianity as a whole, I think is just mere profession. Okay, I talk with a lot of people. There's a lot of good people here in the Fox Valley. Okay, 20 years ago, I wanted to be on the mission field. I desired, I saw people getting saved. It was fun to share the gospel. People received. I got to preach to crowds and we see big response and then the lord told me i want you to go back home and i wept it was one of the hardest times i ever wept in my life lord they don't care people back in the fox valley they're good people they don't care about you and the sad thing is guys i talk with a lot of people here in the valley i've shared the gospel with a lot of people here in the valley and i have a lot of people who profess for a lot of people say i believe I grew up going to the church. Cool, where do you go to church now? Yeah, I know I'm going to heaven. Really, how are you getting there? They don't even know what the gospel is. How can you get to heaven if you don't even know the gospel? You see, by profession, mere profession, in other words, what I'm saying is standing up for the word of God, but then denying it by how you live, denying it in your life. A lot of people. I think I told you guys a few weeks back I got to go to a Packer game. Did I share about sharing with people around me? You know, got to talk about Jesus, you know, and all these Christians left the game drunk, you know. And I don't want to judge, but I'm just like, okay, we're talking about things of the Lord, we're talking about Jesus, the gospel, and you all profess to believe, and you're all leaving this game smashed. What kind of witness is that? I kind of felt bad because there were other people. I mean, you're, when you go to a game, like there's people literally like standing on top of you. <laughs> we're all squished. And I knew other people were overhearing that conversation. I got kind of excited. But by the end of the game, I'm like, bummer. What kind of witness were we Christians? <laughs> Mere profession, right? Um, and then the second one, one of the other greatest foes that I see is living in an exemplary life um, and yet failing to speak when we have opportunity, okay? I feel like that's a lot of Christians today. How many churches? We have 200 
in Outagamie County here. 200 churches. Okay? Great. A lot of people going to church, living a good life, doing what's right, loving their husband, loving their wife, raising their kids in the Lord, doing everything. But they never ever share the Lord. It's said almost 90% of Christians will never share their faith. That's say it. What's the one thing God's asked us to do? <laughs> Go make disciples. It's like the one thing he's asked us to do. You know? And we know. You guys especially know. We're in the word of God. The gospel is very clear. You should have a good grasp on that truth. <laughs> That's something we should be able to share with others. And I don't condemn you. I say that to encourage you. If you haven't, just do it. <laughs> That's why we're here. You know? Otherwise, wouldn't it be cool if we got saved and just raptured immediately? Just like, Woo! I just believed and I'm in glory with God. You know? That'd be so cool. But it doesn't happen that way, does it? No, he's left us here for a reason, right? So, be light. Share the truth. Let's look at verse 16. Um, I'm going to make this clear because I'm hoping to share this part of the teaching with some of my friends who like to baptize their babies. Uh, verse 16 in here, there's a direction to be baptized and it follows logically. The grammatical structure in the scriptures are very important, okay? So the wash away your sins, it ties to the calling on the name of the Lord part. It's connected there, okay? You can't do away with it. You can't turn it around. That's the way it's laid out, and it's consistent throughout scripture. So to get baptized because by calling on the name of the Lord, your sins are washed away, so you confirm it. That's why one gets baptized. I want you all to turn to Mark chapter 16 with me. This is a scripture that a lot of people love to twist and share with me, showing me, ha ha, I got proof you have to be baptized to be saved. And they love to throw Mark 16 at me, and I love throwing Mark 16 back at them. <laughs> Let's just use the scripture you just shared with me. I love it. Mark 16, 16. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Love it. But he who does not believe will be condemned. Now, let's make it very clear. And correct me if I'm wrong in my assessment here. What it doesn't say, and it doesn't say, he who does not get baptized will be condemned. Right? So what it does say, but he who does not believe will be condemned. That's what it says, clearly. So belief is always the common denominator in these verses. You can look at all of the scriptures in regards to water baptism, okay? Belief is the key. So belief is the common denominator here. We also see that we need to repent and believe. Confess with your mouth and believe with all of your heart. Hear his word and believe. See the son and believe, okay? The belief is always the key, okay? Faith is the key. You are saved by faith through grace. You understand that? Or by grace through faith. It's a gift from God. So to be 
be baptized, to believe. First, to trust, to depend, to rely upon Christ alone for your salvation. He is Savior. It's not a work you've done. It's something He has done. So to be baptized is to submit to the ordinance on which the Lord fulfilled in the Jordan. To those 3,000 converts, one submitted uh, the ones that had submitted there on Pentecost, into which the jailer yielded obedience the very next night of his conversion. So baptism is really an outward sign that sets forth our death, burial, and resurrection in Christ, or with Christ, I should say, um, and is not to be neglected. So baptism doesn't confer salvation, okay? It just confirms it. Hey, I am saved. It's an outward sign. I believe in Christ. And he's asked me to be baptized, to be recognized with him, to go publicly with my faith. So, no mere mechanical right can ever bestow forgiveness. And there's two verbs that are used for baptism in the New Testament. I'd like to share those with you guys. If you have your strong concordance this morning, you can open up to number 911. You probably don't, but you can check it out later. It's the word bapto in the Greek. It means dip. That's how it's normally translated into English. To dip, to dip in, to immerse, to dip in, dye, or to dye with a color it's often used. There's a great example that we find. Jot down Revelation chapter 19, verse 13. We see this word used. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. So that's where we see it used in the New Testament. We also have the Greek word baptizo, okay? It's in the Strong's number 907. It's used here as baptize, to immerse. And the clearest example that's been found that shows the meaning of baptizo in the text from the Greek poet, uh, a physician named uh, Nicander. He lived two, uh, two centuries before Christ. Um, it was a it was, he had actually used these words in a recipe for making pickles. Um, and it's helpful because both the words are used. And I'd like to share it with you because it makes sense. Okay, And this is what they would understand, these Greek writers at the time, and what they were conveying. Uh, Nikar says that in order to make a pickle, the vegetable should be first dipped, the bapto, okay, dipped into boiling water and then baptized baptizo, okay, in the vinegar solution. So both verbs concerning immersion of the vegetables in a solution. But the act of baptizing the vegetable produces a permanent change. There's a difference there, a distinction made. So this word baptizo more often refers to the union and identification with Christ than to our water baptism. So Christ is saying that mere intellectual assent is not enough that there must be a union, there has to be union with him, a real change, like a vegetable that's been pickled, okay? <laughs> it has to be immersed, you have to be in Christ, that's the point. So our baptism, okay, it is important, okay? Um, our baptism today, if you haven't been baptized, what are you waiting for, okay? It's not going to save you, but it's just something you do. Because Christ has saved you. So, um, if you haven't been baptized, come talk to me. Mm, let's jump to verse 20 here. Back to Paul's testimony. Is that clear? I know we talk about it a lot. 
don't know why people are so confused. It's come up how many times? It's just there in Scripture. You know, going through the book of Acts, it's been so clear over and over again. I don't know why we're, ba- you know, baptizing babies. They don't believe. You believe in that ba- everywhere in Scripture. It's so clear. Anyways, and it's actually affecting people. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know. How, literally, I've had over 100 people in my lifetime tell me they're going to heaven because they got baptized as a Catholic or a Lutheran as a baby. That's what they told me. That's their good news, their gospel hope. Is they were baptized by the church. Mommy and daddy made sure that happened and they're good. So it doesn't, you know, that's just a lie. It's a lie. And that's where we need to know the scriptures to speak the truth to them. You know, and you guys will be amazed when you actually open up the scriptures. You know, because they do. They place a face hope, a false hope in a, a person, some man, some priest, who told them this. The church said this. But there is power when you have your Bible with you and you can open the Word and actually walk somebody through a passage like this. And let's go to the Apostle Paul. Let's read his testimony. Let's go, you know, it's all over Scripture. And when they see it for themselves and you can walk them through it and just say, hey, this is the logical conclusion. This is what God says. We shouldn't care about what the church says because there's a whole lot of churches and who are we to say which one's right and which one's wrong? You know, what matters is what God thinks. What's his opinion? What has he said? So I encourage you guys, because I know some of you have come to me, I got a family who are Lutherans and they want us to baptize our babies and they tell us they're going to go to hell if we don't. You know, I've heard that from you guys. You know, one of those things, they are believers in Christ. Many of them love the Lord and that's where you can sit down and really reason through the scriptures with them hey, you believe this, can you show me, please, in the Word of God where it teaches that? Just show me. It's not there. And you might have an opportunity then to walk them through some passages and just show them uh, how the Scriptures is laid it out. So, up on that. Verse 20, Paul was consenting to have these Christians uh, be murdered. Okay, um, Consenting actually means to be pleased. So thought of pleasure, arrangement, or indicating Paul's former callous attitude towards the martyrs' suffering and death. Um, But he was full in on it. Verse 21, this was a turning point in him sharing his testimony. You see, the using of the word Gentiles, that's when they turned on him. You had us, because it's all about us. Right? Isn't that what people want? I know there's people that don't come to freedom here because I don't always make people feel good because it's not all about them. We're here because of God. And He sure loves us and that comes through the Scriptures. But we are so self-centered. We want everything to be about us. And that's exactly what's going back on, you know, back here. It's Paul sharing. Hey, you got us. You're speaking in Hebrew. You're telling us you're one of our brothers. You know, hey, our God. (laughs) Yeah, speak on. But now you're going to tell us that our God... He's for others. He cares about other people. It's no longer about us. That's when they turned on him. You see, red lights start flashing. Sirens start going off when he says this. If he didn't use this one word, he might have been set free. I really believe that. He had him here. But I think just using this one word, (laughs) Gentiles, um, turned these guys But that was the whole burden of his life. And it's why he was arrested, wasn't it? 
because he cared for the Gentiles. God so loved the world, not just the Jews, okay? They are his chosen people, the apple of his eye. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, anybody believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And we get so caught up into us. And we see that even today. To my Calvinist friends, you get so caught up in just we are the elect. We are the chosen of God. It is just about us. No. God so loved the world. Okay? We can't have that type of mentality that this mob had. Because what does this mob do? They are attacking. They are not caring for other people. They're all about themselves. And when we get stuck on ourselves, it's just about us. We're going to lose heart for others. We're not going to share the heart of God. We are not going to love others. Okay? And we see that still going on today. But we need to understand the God of the Bible. He loves all people. He desires none to perish. And that's why we need to share. He's left us to share for a reason. Let's go on here. Suffering for Christ versus needless suffering. This is kind of where Paul begins to wrap up his testimony here. Um, and they listened to him until this word, right? And then they raised their voice and then they said, away with him, such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Ho, ho. Then, as they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw their dust in the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And they said that he should be examined under scourging, uh, scourging so he might know why they had shouted so against him. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul, he said to the centurion who stood by, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? And when the centurion heard that, he went and he told the commander, saying, take care what you do, for this man is a Roman. And then the commander came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman? And he said, yes. Wow. Would you guys say this is extremely dramatic? Yeah, yeah. They should make a soap opera of Paul's life. Like, I'd watch. Like, it's just fulfilled with suspense. It's like, what's going to happen? Almost torn apart by this mob. Now he's saved by Claudius Lysis. The crowd is mad again. Now he's scourged by Lysis, and then he's saved again by him. And in verse 24, this scourging, it'd be kind of like waterboarding of the day to extract information. They're just trying to get him to confess. So try to flog Paul into some kind of confession here. And although Christ called him to suffer for his name, that calling did not include needless suffering. Okay? There is a lot of needless suffering going on today, and I don't think God calls us to that. Our suffering is to be purposeful. So when Paul knew that his task wasn't complete yet, he must still go to Rome, so he wisely guarded his life. So being needlessly victimized is not the same as humbly suffering for Christ. The scourging of a battered wife, an abused employee, a molested child are not examples of biblical submission. There is a time to claim our right as citizens of God's kingdom and defend ourselves. 
We even see in Old Testament that slaves were protected by the law, okay, from physical abuse. In Exodus 21, verses 26 to 27, you guys can read it later, but if they were, um, they were, their owner knocked out a tooth or hurt their eye or something, they were to be set free. You just don't do that. <laughs> it is wrong. Um, so, let's move on to verse 28. Um, so how was his citizenship obtained? How is our citizenship obtained? He speaks into this a little bit. In verse 28, the commander answered, With a large sum, I obtained my citizenship. So he paid for his citizenship. And Paul said, But I was born a citizen. Then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him. And the commander was also afraid after they were found out that he was a Roman and because he had bound him. In the next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. So this would delay things two years, guys. Two more years in Caesarea. One hearing after another, after another for Paul. What do we do with this guy? You know, we could have just stoned him and killed him, and he's a Roman citizen. <laughs> okay, Rome was in charge of the world at that time. It wasn't lawful to do that to a Roman so God would work out his will in his time. And what I love, Paul just waited on God. He patiently waited on God during this time. So let's talk about country citizenship for a moment. How to obtain citizenship? Well, by birth, okay? From citizen parents, by reward for service, or by freedom, okay? After slavery. So this commander was a proud uh, he had his citizenship by purchase. Probably why he took the name Claudius, right? From the first, uh, Acts chapter 23, verse 26, after the emperor, okay, uh, Claudius. So it was Emperor Claudius who had sold citizenships during his reign. Paul received his by birth, okay? Don't know how he obtained this, but a great thing for a Jewish boy to inherit. <laughs> um, let's talk about U.S. citizenship for a moment. You were born free as an American citizen, protected by the Constitution as a byproduct of the Declaration of Independence. You were born free, but it came at a great price. Many wars were fought. Many men and women laid down their lives so we can enjoy this this morning. Do you guys know that what we're doing this morning, worshiping the Lord, opening the scriptures, there's many countries in the world today we would be killed or thrown in prison for what we're doing this morning. We enjoy a lot of freedoms and we should be very thankful to be citizens in America. But as Christians, our citizenship really is where? In heaven. We have a heavenly citizenship. Though we obtain our freedom in Christ through repentance, the forgiveness of sins, of accepting Christ as our Lord and Savior into our lives, into our, uh, our hearts. The ability to do so was purchased for us by the Lord, and he paid a very heavy price for our redemption. I mean, he laid, think about it, the King of Glory, 
the creator of all things, laid down his own life for you and I. That's a great price. You can't give anything greater than that. That's the greatest of all time. He gave himself. Some say I bought mine. Works? It doesn't work. Okay? <laughs> Works don't work. That's not possible. You can't save yourself. You can't do enough good. What we can say is I got mine. How? New birth. New birth. And that's the only way possible to have citizenship in heaven. You must be born into it. You must be born a second time. You must be born again of the Spirit of God. Jesus said in John 3, you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you are born again. It's very clear. So are you born again? Do you know Jesus? Not just know a whole lot about him, but have you surrendered? Have you asked him to forgive your sins, that he would be your Savior, your Lord, your King? Have you given your allegiance to him and him alone? That's what it's about, guys. It's turning and believing on him. So, Father, we thank you for testimonies. We're thankful again as we get a little glimpse into Paul's story and just seeing him being able to share his testimony. I pray that you would help us, Lord. Take, allow us to take time to understand our story. <laughs> that we would be able to clearly share with others what you've done in our lives, how you saved us, or how beautiful the gospel is to us. Father, we are so thankful for your Holy Spirit, that you really are alive, that you came to seek and to save the lost. Lord, thank you for the grace that has found us. And thank you that we have the privilege, Lord, to go and to share with others. God, I don't know if any of us here this morning will ever have to face an angry mob like Paul did. But if we do, Lord, may we stand strong. May we be bold. May we suffer well for your glory. May we have the wisdom to see things that we don't need to suffer too. God, and even in the freedoms we do share, there's still going to be opposition. There's still going to be hardships. There's still going to be people we love, we care for, who think we're crazy for loving you. God, just give us wisdom in sharing with them and how to pray for them. Uh, thank you for this morning. Thanks again for your word. It truly is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our feet, um, a light unto our paths. We thank you, Father, for uh, just, yeah, speaking. Help us to listen well. We love you. Pray you be with my brothers and sisters this week, God. In your name, amen.